0: Good morning. My name is Cheryl Sanchez, and I'm reading from Colossians 3:22 through 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters." Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Such beautiful music today for a celebration of the Reformation. First, I want to thank you from all of the pastors. Some of you guys sent notes and gift cards and stuff like that for Pastor's Appreciation Month. We're just thankful for you and to be in this community uh, walking together with you uh, we're in this study. That's called the gospel and and today we have really an interesting Topic one. I think we don't spend enough time on hopefully this will push you Where you live I really want to start with a question question is pretty simple. Have you ever noticed? how beautiful work can be There's a woman named Jane she was in Scotland and she had gone to a remote river in the north of the country, and the reason she was there is she was depressed. She was orphaned, she was penniless, and she was so hopeless, she felt like death would be a relief, a release for her. The only route to peace, and so she'd taken herself to that river to jump in she was so depressed. Her husband had just been killed in a duel with another man, and although the man who killed her offered to support her financially, she didn't want anything to do with that. She just wanted the end of her life. Now, as she was standing preparing to jump in, she looked on the opposite bank of the river, and something there caught her eye. I mean, something as simple and common in 1815 when this happened, you might think you'd see it all the time. It was a man who was at a plow, and his action caught her attention, and she began to focus on him, and she was really just sort of drawn in by the beauty of what he was doing. He was so intent on his work, it's as if he was an artist laying down the furrows so carefully and beautifully. She was really amazed and stunned by this. She doesn't know how much time passed. She was so drawn into the, the glory of this simple and really common act that before she knew it, she was thinking to herself, What about the self-pity in my life? How could I be doing this? Why would I be taking my own life? It was true. She had two young children to raise, but it was in seeing that sight, the sight of somebody focused on their work, doing something significant that was like shock to her system, the beauty of that moment brought her to her senses and returned her to her native Dublin, where a couple of years later, she married a guy named John... Guinness. Have you ever heard of Guinness before? Yeah, a brewmaster, and she's the great-great-grandmother of this guy. His name is Oz Guinness, one of the greatest Christian writers and thinkers of our age. He wouldn't have been born except his great-great-grandmother saw the beauty of work. And maybe you've seen it too. Maybe it's somebody turning a pot Or you see the line that a surgeon uses with her her scalpel as she's performing surgery. Or you see the the power of a counselor leading someone into reframing the problem in their life. And it's transformational. It's beautiful. And by the way, we're involved in that where we live too, right? Now, I got to admit, it's dishonest just to look at work like that. Because, right, work is also drudgery. I mean, it's doing that pile of laundry again, and it just keeps showing up dirty. It's taking out the trash and changing a diaper and doing lawn care at your own house and all those things that seem like drudgery that have to be done. So how are we supposed to look at this, right? We're thinking about the gospel and the coming of Jesus and what Jesus has done. How does this shape how we think about our work. I mean, is there this connection between what we're doing here in worship on Sunday and what we're going to end up doing maybe this afternoon or tomorrow on Monday? What is the connection between these two? Because our work world is so much a part of our world. If we can't see that, if we don't understand that, we're going to miss out on the riches that we have in Christ. Let's, Let's pray together as we get started. Lord, Father, we so need to hear Not just what you have to say, but for you to show us what we're here for and how we can encounter you and know you. And Lord, we do rejoice that you fill every square inch of the creation. As we were just thinking about the billions of stars and the glory of the creatures here on earth, to know that you're in the middle of it all that you're part of it all, and in our lives too. Show us, O Lord, how to see this, how to live in it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Earlier in this letter, the Apostle Paul says something as simple as this. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, everything in your life, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, so it's true. All aspects of our lives, work included, are to be done with God in view, in the name of Jesus, to God's glory. Now, we spend time looking at work because as I think about it, I think, wow, this is something that is so easy to get wrong in our lives. And I want to know, well, then how can I get it right? In other words, how can I have the right perspective of this? So as I go off to my work, if I'm in the middle of my responsibilities. How do I get that right? Now, first, by the way, I think we get this wrong in so many ways. In our culture, largely, there are many of us that have made an idol of our work. That means it's like the ultimate and most important thing. We can look there for that sense of who we are. And by the way, in the U.S., That's how we identify ourselves. We share a name, and and what do you do, by the way, for a living? As if somehow that will tell us, oh, that's who that person is. This is the place where we show the world what we're made of, right? Where we have to justify ourselves or prove ourselves. It's in the middle of our work. We make a name for ourselves, and as a result, it is really easy to make too much of our work. I remember reading the story of this woman. Her name is Erin Callan. She's the most powerful woman on Wall Street, CFO for Lehman Brothers. And then as the economy began crashing in 2008, she started to think more honestly about the way she was living. This is what she said. She said, I didn't start out with the goal of devoting all of myself to my job. It crept in over time. First, I spent half an hour on Sunday organizing my email, to-do list, and calendar to make Monday morning easier. Then I was working a few hours on Sunday, and then all day. My boundaries slipped away until all was left, that, until it was all that was left. Inevitably, when I left my job, it devastated me. I couldn't just move on. I didn't know how to value who I was versus what I did. What I did was who I was. You see, she became swallowed up in her work. She didn't mean for this to happen. It slowly moved into her life, and it became her idol. And so you sort of think about that. Has your work become your idol Is that the most important thing in your life where you've drawn your identity or your sense of meaning as a human being? She didn't want that to happen. And then outside of her work, she was like, I don't even think I'm a person without this. You see, it's easy to forget the difference between what you do and who you are. How does this happen? Here's a social scientist studying it. Workism is the idea that work is the centerpiece of our identity. The focal point of our lives. The organizing principle of society. A lot of people have turned to work to find the things they used to seek from traditional religions. Transcendence, meaning, community, self-actualization, a totalizing purpose in life. We have essentially made our work our God. These are social scientists looking in and saying, you see how we're treating this? It's actually become the religion of our culture and our age, what we do and living for that. And this is why as Americans we venerate productivity. We use our own work for self-validation. We look for security there. And by the way, we talk about success and we, we assume that people are talking about their work. And, and we think that we're going to find life there. But what Aaron learned was, this is a trap for us. Yet, you know, in our culture, there's also the opposite response of getting it wrong. We can make an idol of it, but we have a whole culture who have watched their parents idolizing their work. And they're like, nope, nope, I am not going to do that. I want to have a life. And so what they've said is, well, work is really bad. And my life is going to be good to the extent that I can have as little work in my life as possible. If I can get it done in two hours a day, my life will be wet better. And so, lost is a sense of calling and a real vocation. And the reality is today, employers are complaining that they find, hardly find anyone who's willing to put in the work, to show up, to care. There's such apathy over work. You see how both of these responses are occurring in our age right now. In which people are saying, work is, is unfortunate, it's necessary of getting bills paid, and that's all that it's for. And by the way, in our culture, we also say, the American dream is making enough money that I can retire really early, then I don't have to do anything. And what are we saying about work? What do we believe about this? But the results have not been good. There's an epidemic of purposelessness and joylessness and a loss of human dignity. So I say, well, how in the world am I going to get this right? How can I understand the place God has for this in my life? Then we open up the book of Colossians. And that's what I want to look at, getting it right with you. And we're receiving basic instructions here as followers of Jesus in this worldview in which God is Lord over all. And the reason is, Paul is writing this young church where people came to faith and they didn't grow up thinking about God in the picture. So you could say he's educating them on a God-centered worldview. They don't know who he is and who they are. And they don't know what life their life is really for. Now, to begin to understand work today, we actually don't start with us. We begin with God. Here's Tim Keller, pastor Tim Keller, explaining. He says, in the beginning, then, God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. So you see, Scripture opens actually with God working. And you see how that dignifies that action of taking what's in our world and, and forming it and causing it to flourish? And God didn't lay work upon us as a part of the curse. Listen to Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now that was before sin ever came into the world. So why did God give this work to the first human beings? It's because he loved them. It was a blessing in their lives. They would be able to reflect his glory as the God who works by themselves engaging in his project, doing something of value to cause his world to flourish, and reflecting the very God who has made us. And so, by the way, but whether building a house or writing a book, God has blessed us by giving us meaningful work. And by the way, we can see the dignity of this all over. Look at that little four-year-old running to their mom and dad just because they use crayons on a piece of paper. They feel so proud, Right? They've actually done something in the world. Or watch that new CEO as she leads investors through that plant that her company just built and is now producing products. There's pride, there's dignity in this now that it's up and running. And so what the Apostle Paul says is this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. You see, God has made you a a stakeholder in his world. He's given you a little place in his world in which to build, to invent, to sing, to make art. And the reason he's done this is because he loves you and he made you in his image. He wants you to know the joy of work and to find that place in his world where your gifts and human needs and his purposes all intersect. Notice, by the way, in this text, there's no mention of being successful. That's not even in mind here at all, or making a lot of money. It has to do with your heart before God, because you are ultimately working for the Lord. Uh, This past week, I was reading the story of one of, you know, life's greatest composers, Johann Sebastian Bach. You'll see a picture of him. And as we celebrate the Reformation, you should know that one of the things that Bach got as a follower of Jesus, is he got the three-volume translation of the Bible into German done by Martin Luther, the Reformer. And when he got it, he just read through it. I mean, he, he underlined, he put notes in the margins. You'll see one of the marginal notes here that comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. And the reason he was attentive to this is really cool. I mean, this is what he wrote. By the way, that verse is about Uh, the worshipers that God assigned to his people. And he wrote in the column there, at a reverent performance of music, God is always at hand with his gracious presence. He began to realize God is present in the middle of your work and what you're doing, how you're engaging in his world. He is there. And so what he came to do over time was you can look at his compositions and at the bottom of all his con- compositions, you can see that SDG stands for Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. This is before the face of God, for the glory of God. He's given me these, this, these gifts and I use them for, for him because he's so equipped to me and he's called me to do this in my work. Paul says, this is the way we're to see our work. Because God, by giving us this work, has made us stewards of his world. Maybe you heard the story of the man. He was walking through a stone quarry. And in a stone quarry, in the medieval world, they they hew out the stone that's going to be used in buildings and all kinds of things. And as he's walking along, he steps over to one man and he says, what are you doing? And the man says, well, can't you tell? Duh. I'm hewing out stone. But the man kept walking, and he asked another one working there, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm building a wall. He was hewing stone too. And he kept walking, and he asked another man, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. All of them were in the same place. They were doing the same work. But they had a completely different perception of that work because they understood their purpose, even even where they were hewing out stone, all were in the same quarry. But do you see your work that way? Yeah, I know you're doing work and and you could talk about what it is, but how do you perceive that? What is that for? And, And what does that mean? Do you see your work as important to God, a means to glorifying God? But also we can get work wrong, can't we? It cannot be about that we can misuse our work. Here's Paul. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You see how work has gone wrong? There's no better example than slavery, right? You see, slavery means using and abusing people for the value of their work. Treating them as only a means of production. And some people have read this passage and said, oh, Christians, oh, Paul here, he's condoning slavery. He's saying it's okay for slavery to take place. He's not saying that. By the way, I know some Christians have, but Jesus didn't. And Paul challenged those who were slaves if it was possible to be able to be free. And in the New Testament, there's this beautiful little book of the Apostle Paul that sort of shows us the envisionment of how this would happen in which a a runaway slave named Onesimus ends up in prison alongside the Apostle Paul. And Paul leads him to faith in Christ, and he does the unthinkable. He sends him back home to his master, but he sends him with a letter that says, you know what, he's not your slave anymore. He's now your brother. And so begin to see how God intended for this to change. You see, Paul writes this in his letter because at this time in the Roman Empire, one out of every five people is a slave. They are slaves. It's a reality of his world. What are they supposed to do with their work bound up in the institution of slavery? He is telling them this. Even in the worst sort of job, in the worst sort of place, they can reverence God. Isn't that powerful? Maybe you've told yourself, hey, when I get into the right place, well, well, maybe over there I'll be able to honor. Or when I get to a certain level of success, maybe over there I'll be, able to some, I'll be able to serve God. It'll be for God. And here he's showing us the worst possible circumstance, and he's saying, look where they are. They can reverence God in their work. They can serve God in their work. And he says, don't go about your work to gain only the approval of your boss. Do you, your job is living before the face of God. And it means serving from the heart, he says, while you're there. By the way, wherever you are, you can serve God in your work, wherever he has called you. Don't wait until you're in another place. Be all there and give yourself as to the Lord. So how has work gone wrong? We see how it can be distorted. As sin came into the world, the good gift of work was cursed. Everything became more difficult. I totally relate to this. I'm sure you will too, right? Here's what the Lord told the man. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the, uh, the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, what had been a blessing to the first people became toil. It became sweat. It became difficult. And by the way, we, we need to get this right. Work itself is not a curse. But it lies under the curse of sin that touches everything in our world. So you say, what does this mean? I think of it in at least three ways if you're taking notes. First, I think there's a loss of a sense of calling in our world. God made us for specific work. And because of this disconnection with God, we, we doubt we're in the right place or we're always looking for that place. We want to be in the place where we're doing the right thing, but we lack the confidence and boldness that comes from knowing that our calling is, is, is from God. I hope you know that. So many people I meet are searching for that place. And it's because the, the, the work has fallen under the curse. And by the way, even where we work, even where you're working, you can feel like a fraud there. And it's because of this disconnection with God and this sense of vocation and calling that you receive from Him. But then there's the second thing. There's immense resistance in your work. The presence of thorns and thistles. What this means is, the environment where you work is going to be difficult. It means you feel like you get... There's always more than can be done. And so, literally, we see just how difficult work is. And by the way, it also happens, you feel like you have the gifts... To be serving in a place, but you can't get there. Or those who could help you get there don't see that. That's all because of the resistance that is in our work. And the third thing is we misuse our work. We have to deal with our own motives and our struggles as we work. We feel insecure and we're tempted to use our work for nothing more than gaining money. Or our own validation, as we talked about before. We make it about ourselves and our success, and our status, or we make it about how much money I can gain through it. And I remember you reading years ago the story of Veggie Tales, you familiar with that? If you have young kids, you know about it. And the guy who started it is a guy named Phil Vischer. And he began looking around, you know, about 30 years ago and he saw there wasn't really much out there for kids. Here's Phil. And so um, he, de- he decided, he, he believed he was called by God to dream up, amazing things to do for God and his goal was to become like the Christian Disney through these films for kids and he believed by the way to do anything less was to dishonor God he met with early success and became the second largest producer of children's videos on earth but it wasn't enough I mean he listen to what he said he said to himself God would never call us from greater impact to lesser impact and impact is everything. So he pushed harder. They, they borrowed more money. They set out to, to do more projects. And they became financially overextended. And they ended up fighting a huge lawsuit over this until they actually went through bankruptcy in 2003. Here's what Phil said about it later The more I dove into scripture, the more I realized I had been deluded. The Christian life wasn't about impact, it was about obedience. The world learns about God not by watching Christian movies, but by watching Christians. You see, one of the thorns for him had been himself. And it's also often that for us. It's because we use a good gift of God to pursue things that that are for us and about us and about our motivations. And so in all of that, there's this huge frustration of, of, of our work, And by the way, he learned it was his own lack of character that got the best of him. He misused it for himself. And all of this, okay, okay, how can I get this right? Right? If I can misuse this and miss my calling and be frustrated because it's so difficult, how can I do that? Well, here's how the gospel actually changes it. Look at how our text ends. It turns the focus away from us completely. This is what we're told. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see, here's this radical change that has taken place. Jesus is not only in the picture, our lives become centered on him and his glory. And by the way, we hear this repeatedly in the text. With sincerity of heart and reverence, for the Lord. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. You see that? He says, you think you're working for your boss or supervisor or company, but you're really called to serve God where you're working. Notice, by the way, he doesn't say, by the way, the way you live this out is you tell everybody at work about Jesus. He doesn't mention that at all. We're always on mission, of course. But he says, what if you start living your life knowing that you're serving God where you're working and not that human master. We're always on mission. Remember, it is Jesus you are serving. So first, let all your work be Godward. We reverence God in all our work. And that, that's why we want to do our best, not to prove ourselves to anyone or make a name for ourselves, but because this is before the face of God. And You say, well, how do I get there? Well, I think we can only get there when we see the work that Jesus has done for us. We don't work for our acceptance before God because Jesus has taken care of that. And in going from the cross, Jesus forever ended the striving for our significance. You will not be able to build a significance in your work that comes close to the significance God gives you by making you his child in Jesus. And when you see that, your work will be changed. You won't not care about work. You'll love this I opportunity to be with God in his work. In going to the cross, Jesus did this. And by the way, you know that Jesus died like nobody else who was ever crucified died? He didn't die in resignation. He died in completion and accomplishment. He didn't die because he couldn't go any further. He died before he, because he completed his mission. And one of the Roman soldiers watching Jesus died looked and he, he said, Wow, surely this is the Son of God. And when Jesus was there on the cross, he he last said, said, he said, finished. It's like what God said at creation, right? Except in making us a new creation, this is what Jesus does. The job is done and that's it. And because of that, you have nothing to prove before God. You don't have to justify your own existence and prove that this use of space on this planet has been worth it all. Because Jesus died for you. And he's given you your life to enjoy. So our place with God is secure. Our sins have been covered. And by the way, this means your work has also been perfected. So let your identity rest in God and not what you're doing. So as I say, we don't work uh, to secure our identity for ourselves. We have a new identity as children of God. We have a new partnership with God in the world. You know what? That's the way he wants us to see it. He's like, look, I'm always at work in the world, but what I want you to do, would you come and join me in your work, wherever I call you? We don't do anything for God, but we do everything with God. And as a result of that, all of our work is transformed in the process. This is how one theologian explains it. God prefers to offer us grain and invites us to buy a field and plant the seed. He prefers that we till the soil while he sends the rain. He prefers that we harvest the crop while he sends sunshine. Why? Because he would rather we become partners with him in his creation. Of course, God could simply supply our every need, but God invites us into a creative partnership with him. He supplies the earth, the air, the water, the sun, our strength, And then he asks us to work, what does it say? With him. He wants to be with you. And he wants you to do this with him. And so in the New Testament, the unthinkable thing is said at least twice, right? Where we are called God's co-workers. You're a co-worker of God in his world. In partnership with him. And this is what he desires with you. And so as a result, we see everything in our work differently. It's not an onerous requirement, but it's a sacred opportunity God has given us, right, to help in the flourishing of his world. So we join God in his work. Whether it is guiding a business or washing windows, we do it to the glory of God. And Jesus is at the center of it all. And you see, then our work actually becomes a part of our worship, a response to the God who created us and who called, him, called us alongside himself. In the world, I love the way our text uh, explains it. It reaches into eternity. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. He doesn't say, hey, if you work well, you're going to get paid more, you'll become a more important person. He says, look, what I have planned for you as a part of my kingdom is here is something that's going to reach all the way into my kingdom when it comes in its fullness. As a part of doing what is a part of what is God's work in the world, this is where the trajectory of this leads. Um, I've shared a lot of stories of Tolkien, who wrote The the Lord of the Rings, and his life has been a huge encouragement to me. What you may not know is that when he set out to write that trilogy, he became so frustrated and so weary, and it took him so long. First, he went and studied all kinds of ancient cultures— he didn't make up all that stuff. He, he drew from cultures he learned about. And then he went to study ancient languages. He wanted to understand the way languages worked, And many of these languages are so old, they're ne- never spoken anymore now. So it was very hard for him. And at one point, he was so frustrated. He's like, I- I'm never going to finish this project. I will never get it done. It is not going to happen. But one morning, he woke up, and God gave him a little story that afterwards was published It's the story of a guy named Niggle, Niggle. And the reason is because in their language, to niggle is like to doodle. And this guy, Niggle, had this desire. He wanted to make this beautiful painting of a tree. An amazing tree, right? A beautiful, flourishing tree. And as he was working and working, everything was getting in his way. He could never get the time he wanted. Like if a neighbor was sick, he'd go and help them. And if if there was a crisis with somebody in his community, he'd go and help them. And he's like, I'm never going to finish this. This isn't going to happen. And one night he went out to help a neighbor. He went out in a storm. He got sick, and he died. And Nigel wakes up, and when he does, he's on this train that is leading him all the way to heaven. And as he's going to heaven, there's a place where the train stops. And when he gets off the train, he looks out, and his eyes get big. He just can't believe it. Here is that tree just as he had imagined he would paint it. Here is it with all of its beauty and all of its glory. And and it's all done. And he walks up to it because he can't believe it. And here is like the mind and purposes of God, right? And when he walks up to the tree, he realizes that, that there's something missing. And it's what he has with him. And it's a single leaf Because in his life, in all of his niggling, he had only ever finished one leaf. And he's able to attach it to the tree. And here it is in all of its perfection. And uh, Tolkien understood. He's like, oh, what I'm doing is a part of something that God has been doing. And it's so much bigger than I could ever accomplish. Sure, he went along to write those books, and they're amazing. He had no idea the power that would be in them. But he realized he was a part of the purposes of God in this world. As small as his space, and as insignificant as it felt, and as little as he felt like he was able to accomplish, God had drawn him into the great story. He is writing about our whole world. And that's what God is doing with you. Maybe like me, there are most days when you feel like, I'm not even sure I'm going to get a leaf done. I'm not even sure that's going to happen. And there are other days when you just get so discouraged you want to give up. You wonder, could it matter? Do I have any significance at all? And God has invited you into a story where as Tolkien learned he's going to finish this project. He's going to do the work. He is, and he is including what you are doing because he loves you and he wants to work with you in his world. He wants you to work with him. And that's the purpose of your work once you're in Jesus. You have an identity of a chi- as a child of God. You have all of the gifts of God and the goodness of God, the grace of God. And he wants you now to work and enjoy that in the world. So here's what Paul said. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Because you are. You're working with the Lord. Not to define you, but to invite us into life with him. Because Jesus of his cross and his love we know who we are, and we can know why we're here. And we can be involved with God in his work. And so are you waiting? are you telling yourself you're waiting for the perfect time? When you're in the right place as you think it or see it, don't wait. Where you are right now, see this is the place where God has you. Give your best, and let this be worship. And see your work as a partnership with God. Would you pray with me? Father, it is true. We have gotten this so many ways wrong. Some of us, Lord, the temptation is for me to idolize work, to make it our lives more than, than we see you as our life. Forgive us, Father, and remind us who we are. Our real identity is found in you through Jesus. Lord, others of us wonder if we matter at all. We hardly feel like we've been able to do a thing. And you show us that you've included us in your purposes for our world. And as small as we might think it to be, it has significance. Because we're doing it with you. And it's a part of your purposes that reach into eternity. So, Father, help us to live in this by your grace. Because you've loved us. Not because we get everything right. But because every day we see how much you've loved us. And all that you've done for us in Jesus. And we pray together in his name, amen.